Chapter fourteen of the Night Side of New York by members of the New York Press. The Sleepervox recording is in the public domain. Haunts of the Actors. Shall I not take mine ease in mine inn? Is a Falstaffian query involving the right of every man to rest and refreshment. The actor's profession is a laborious one. Much of his work is over only when the night is well advanced and it would be strange indeed if the suggestion conveyed in the words of the obese knight did not influence the tenor of his way as soon as the footlights are extinguished and the prompter's bell put away for the night talking is but dry work at best and no more anomalous or indeed incomplete person could well be imagined than an actor who doesn't care for his beer the houses of public entertainment to which the actors resort after the play is over are for the most part situated in the central district of the city they are generally kept on the english chop-house plan places where the bar is auxiliary to the kitchen instead of being the principal attraction as in the larger american establishments a description of a few of the leading places of this class will serve to give an idea of all one of the best known among them is the house of lords at the corner of houston and crosby streets it is kept by mr h e sharp and is decidedly english in its aspect and arrangements the public room is one of moderate size furnished with a number of small tables and having a small bar attached to it next the houston street entrance this bar is fitted with a very accommodating beer pump from which the thirsty customer can obtain either ale or porter according to his fancy or both mixed in the form of half and half if he likes that better it is hung with many mugs of bright metal interspersed with little jugs of glossy brown earthenware the old-time pewter mug of england is supposed to be represented by the former though there is a touch of harder metal than pewter in their amalgam the brown beer jugs are the pattern known as the toby and are in great request that name doubtless has its origin in the old english drinking song beginning dear tom this brown jug which now foams with mild ale for the ditty proceeds further on to intimate that said jug is composed of clay once animated by the spirit of one toby tosspot a toper of mark in his day a show-card over the bar front sets forth the savory promise of tripe wednesday and saturday others announce pickled pig's feet and sundry other delicacies and the background of the bar is made up of a very kaleidoscopic show of bottles and decanters of the most fanciful kind with glasses to match there is a very half-and-half -half air about the place generally a combination of cricket and the drama in about equal proportions yonder you will observe a large lithograph of some celebrated eleven all ranged in a row for their portraits all rough and ready in their flannel and canvas shoes a bust of shakespeare reigns over the theatrical element of the place and the door jams are hung with files of playbills from the leading theatres while the drama is further represented by a picture of garrick surrounded by his friends and here comes the proprietor of the house a shortish well-built wiry man somewhat bald and wearing a black moustache 
Few men are better known to the cricketing fraternity than Sharp, who is a player of such renown that no eleven for a special match is ever made up in his club without his being counted in. Many a time have we seen him carry out his bat amid the plaudits of the spectators, and it may truly be said of him that he is not more popular as a cricketer than he is as a landlord and a man. And yet of late he seems to leave a good deal of the management of affairs to Larry, the polite and dexterous manipulator so long in charge of the bar, and who, as locum tenens, has established a reputation for himself second to none. After ten o'clock at night there is always a sprinkling of theatrical men, critics, and performers in the various branches of the show business to be found at the House of Lords. The fumes of the pungent Welsh rarebit then mingle voluminously with those of the fragrant Havana, and there is a very general demand for the mug, the toby, and the tumbler of reeking hot whiskey punch. Possibly through the mixed mist of the night you may see looming up the portly form of Mark Smith, whose delineations of stout elderly gentlemen, with sententious utterances, evoked from the depths of their boots, are so familiar to all playgoers. If you have never seen him outside one of those avuncular specialties of his, for which he makes up so admirably, you will be surprised to find out how young a man he is. If the smiling Adolphus H. Davenport, the dolly of popular delight, happens to be in town, he is very likely to be here too. Dolly is not usually the first to leave the circle if the exercises are of a convivial character, towering over the general level of the assembled heads, may sometimes here be seen the classic one of Charles Fisher, the handsomest member of the theatrical fraternity of New York, as well as one of the best dressed. But to run through the list would require more space than we have at our command. By the door yonder there hangs a frame containing many carte de visite portraits of well-known members of the theatrical profession, all or most of whom have at one time or another been frequent habitués of the House of Lords. Next door to the resort just mentioned, as you go toward Broadway, is the house called the Clifton Shades, kept by two smart, intelligent young Sheffield men, Harry and Charles Clifton, whose taste for pictures may be judged of by a glance at the walls which are covered with works of art from surface to ceiling. Among these you will occasionally observe some choice watercolor drawings, and there is sometimes a portfolio of such, for exhibition to regular customers only. The place altogether has a very prosperous and comfortable look, and the value of taste in fitting up an establishment is illustrated by the class of customers to be seen in this one. Here of an evening you may sometimes see John Brome, who is a greater swell than ever since his long sojourn in England, and quite as jovial and companionable as he used to be in the nights gone by. With him, of course, will be Tom Morris, and it is more than probable that John Owens, wonderfully spruced up from his Uncle Shingle of ten minutes ago, will be here to allay the honest thirst contracted by him in that wonderful piece of character acting. There is a good deal of theatrical gossip to be picked up at the Clifton Shades, 
than which there are few pleasanter evening resorts for all who like to keep themselves posted in the current on of dramatic and other art but of all the city houses of entertainment to which actors are in the habit of resorting on nights perhaps the leading place should be awarded to the de soto number seventy one bleecker street three doors east of broadway this house was opened some four years ago by its present proprietor mr william h garrard under whose able management it at once acquired a reputation which it yet fully sustains the de soto is so called after the steamer of that name formerly belonging to the new orleans and havana line of packets to which mr garrard was attached in the capacity of caterer a capacity in which he availed himself of his many opportunities for making a host of friends mr garrard is an englishman quite of the landlord type polite portly and displaying that incipient tendency to baldness frequently to be remarked in individuals possessed of strong administrative abilities the public room of the de soto is fitted up with a degree of elegance not generally characteristic of the english chop-house equipment from the ceiling there depends a large chandelier the gas fittings of which are fashioned to represent wax candles the apartment is long and narrow and may be compared not unaptly to the saloon of a first-class sea-going steamer black walnut is the material with which the walls are wainscoted and along them runs a velvet band for the reception of the heads of such customers as feel the better for tilting back their chairs small tables are arranged about the room the bar is much of the same style as that of the house of lords small trim and very full of the bric-a-brac properly belonging to such arrangements and with regard to the quality of liquors dispensed at it it is not excelled by any similar establishment in the city there is a small parlor off the public room where accommodation can be had for private parties on a limited scale and a larger one upstairs in which dinners or suppers can be got up at fair notice for amphitryons who wish to do up the thing handsomely evening always brings to the de soto a greater or lesser number of representatives of literature art and journalism and later on at night the actors and dramatic critics are sure to come dropping in singly or in squads broiled kidneys and welsh rarebits are in demand then and the circulation of ale is only second to that of the various denominations of beverage that require to be compounded with skill the assemblage is broken up into knots and the hum of conversation surges to and fro upon the smoke wreaths that are evolved from many cigars yonder sits humphrey bland the well-known actor gypsy-like with his long dark locks now slightly rippled with grey at the same table with him sits de walden the dramatist white and venerable as to his beard but with all the fire of youth yet burning upon his intellectual front to them presently comes frank chanfrau who has just dropped in from his hundredth personation of sam in de walden's successful comedy bearing that title bluff harry pearson now appears copious of dialect and cookery 
and one who himself knows how to keep a hotel or at least thinks he does which is not perhaps exactly the same thing he acts an english rustic well and is excellent in broad burlesque also he knows how to cook a beefsteak pudding and is not in the least too proud to acknowledge his proficiency in the art although he will give you to understand in moments controlled by the festal goblet that he is heir to an english baronetcy that dark heavy-browed gentleman who might pass for a dissenting minister come in to convert us heathen is one of the cleverest comedians now upon the american stage his name is holston and he is a member of wallach's company but his first appearance in this country was made at the olympic not much over a year ago when he made a great hit in the character of biles and another in that of milky white the fair almost feminine-looking young gentleman with whom he is talking is edward house the well-known dramatic critic author jointly with dion boucicault of the successful play of ara napog along with them sits glanny who plays sean the post in that drama and looks as irish as a lumper potato though we understand him to be of english birth glenny was imported specially in the spring of eighteen sixty five consigned to mr house and if there were an ad valorem duty upon actors we should say that he would be rated by custom-house officials at a pretty tall figure mr charles dillon the belphegor of renown is sure to drop in here if he is in the city he is an englishman too and yet he looks as though the new york might claim him for one of the hunkiest of her sons but a few short months ago and the portly figure of poor john cook would have been conspicuous in the throng for john was one of the regular habitués of the de soto we used to call him old john cook because of his baldness and stoutness and generally paternal air and yet he was hardly forty-five years old when he went his way and that solemn service was chanted over him in trinity chapel on the seventh of november eighteen sixty five it was good to sit at the same table with john cook in the de soto of a night for his fund of anecdote connected with theatrical people and things was inexhaustible and he was a rare raconteur sometimes his memory would recall an old lay picked up by him long ago in the london caves of song and then he would sing it to you under his breath and so confidentially that none but those in his immediate group would be aware of the convivial strain when banting's pamphlet upon obesity came out john cook became a disciple of that once great man with a view of reducing his three hundred pounds of flesh great was his triumph when he had taken off eighty which he did within a few weeks to our way of thinking though he overdid the matter and we cannot help our conviction that had banting never written his book john cook might yet have been alive and well john mortimer the brilliant light comedian is here too very particular as usual about his kid gloves and yon wiry little irishman is scallon who plays so excellently the character of the villain feeney in ara napogue 
observe the hilarity that distinguishes the group around that table over in the corner by the window the central figure in the group is a tall slender young man in a grey overcoat he wears a nose of the roman type only more so his complexion is of a uniform wholesome bricksome red his light brown glossy hair is of such luxuriance and waviness behind that many a girl must envy him for it and would kiss him for his waterfall only that the world is so censorious the growth of his moustache is of a wiry and obstinate character it will not be repressed and it persists in maintaining a defiant and fiery aspect his linen is absolutely immaculate and his necktie which is usually of a lazulite blue is confined by a jewel of imperial price remark what long slender hands he has the white fingers looking as though they had been constructed specially with a view to presentation rings when he delivers a joke he does it with a reserved fire that never fails to provoke a laugh and when he is impressed with the jokes of others his laugh is very peculiar being inward silent and accompanied by severe corrugations of his nose the subject of this rough pen and ink sketch is none other than charles f brown so well known through the length and breadth of the land as artemus ward his lecture or show as he would call it upon life among the mormons is one of the most popular entertainments that has been before the public for years and his books are selling like wildfire on both sides of the atlantic frequently in this room though not often so late at night as this may be seen the well-known dramatist mr charles gaylor his massive features thrown into deep shade by a very wide-brimmed hat which with his fruity complexion and luxuriant golden hair gives him quite the air of a portrait by one of the old masters nor is the minstrel element unrepresented here most evenings about ten o'clock neil bryant and his brother dan are sure to drop in with complexions so clear and hands so unsullied that you would hardly think they had been doing burnt cork business not ten minutes ago dan declines to go back on the darky though his performance of irish character would always secure him a place on the regular stage charles henry the vocalist is also a frequenter of the de soto where sometimes on occasions of particular festivity he contributes to the harmony of the evening with some of the melodies he sings so sweetly not unfrequently either we have met here with s c campbell once in the minstrel business himself but who has of late transferred his fine baritone to the lyrical stage taking the de soto altogether with its association of actors authors and critics there is perhaps more theatrical gossip to be picked up in it than in any other of the city resorts further up town at number eighty one fourth avenue near the corner of tenth street is the sir john falstaff a tavern having a picture of that jolly knight over its doorway for a sign this house is kept by mr w h norton a member of the stock company of wallach's theatre and formerly a partner with h e sharp in the house of lords mine host is a handsome stoutish gentleman 
with a remarkably fine head of hair which in the characters usually assigned to him at the theatre relieves him from the superfluity of a wig mr norton has a fine taste in pictures his judgment in which we believe is due to his having studied art as a miniature painter previous to his adoption of the stage for his profession often in the sir john falstaff at night may be seen actors belonging to the uptown theatres attaches of the academy of music and the usual variety of character dependent on the shows in general in fixtures this hostelry differs but little from some of those already described the fox's head over the bar imparts somewhat of a sporting character to the place but then at the further end of the room there are many portraits of noted theatrical personages among these there is a good print from sir thomas lawrence's famous picture of john kemble in the character of coriolanus still further uptown on fourth avenue near thirteenth street and just in the rear of wallach's theatre is the green room a small snug theatrical tavern kept by mr g f brown who like the host last mentioned is a member of the stock company at wallach's like his house mr brown is small and snug the very ideal of a well-fed englishman of the duodecimo size from floor to ceiling the walls of the double apartment comprising the bar of the green room are covered with engravings photographs lithographs and every conceivable type of graph large and small of gentlemen and ladies to whom the footlights are familiar and the original green room a haven of occasional rest there is hardly an actor or actress of any fame on either side of the atlantic whose portrait is not to be found in this theatrical gallery the photographs are mostly of the imperial standard and executed in the highest style of the art and by any one who wants to familiarize himself with the personal appearance of the leading men and women of the day theatrically speaking an hour cannot be better spent than in examining the living presentments here collected by our jolly little host of the green room many members of wallach's company drop in here of a night and in the opera season the lyrical stars of the academy of music may often be seen here wetting their mellow whistles with the malt beverages so indispensable to the production of chest notes there are many other places in the city some of the same class as those just described others of the french or german kind to which theatrical men resort frequently at night when their labors are over and tired nature is vociferous for its true restorer balmy drink one such place we will here briefly touch upon and that is the extensive basement restaurant number six five three broadway presided over by mr charles pfaff it is a good many years now since we first became acquainted with mr pfaff who then practiced gastronomy in a smaller cave a block or so further up broadway the circle of his customers at that time was small and select there was a primitive air about the old cellar you should have seen pfaff himself in those days rushing about among his guests with a small child under his arm just as if in the hurry of the moment he had mistaken c pfaff jr for a napkin and was going to wipe the table with him 
that child has now blossomed into a handsome boy of whom his father is justly proud he may yet be president of the united states in process of time a knot of literary men and artists made the discovery of fops and the little old cellar became their regular place of resort the circle drew and their channels for publishing a good thing carried round the name of Pfaff. Then the old cellar was found to be inadequate to the increasing custom of the place, and for years Pfaff located himself in a larger one on Broadway near Bleecker Street. This cave became quite a celebrated resort for artists, critics, actors, and the literary brotherhood at large, having besides its large entourage of german french and other foreign custom which gave a somewhat european character to the place still later our host of the cellar removed his properties to a much larger and more convenient one over which he at present despotically reigns in the rear of this he devised last summer a new and attractive feature by fitting up an open yard in the semblance of an intramural garden with wonderful trees and shrubs some of which are real from the root to the height of a foot or so and were then continued by brush of scenic artist to any height upon the wall this place is canopied over with a huge canvas awning and it is a curious scene to behold captain Pfaff when a heavy thunder shower is coming up from leeward giving the word as if from the quarter-deck for all hands to hoist sail and to see the german waiters going up rigging and belaying and hauling in slacks and letting go sheets and doing fifty other very salt and maritime things with a view to getting the piece of canvas into a position for staving off the storm this is really a delicious place of resort on a drowsy summer night and to it in addition to the large foreign element come a number of dramatic critics and people connected with the neighboring theatres the winter garden especially is represented here when the shades of night prevail and why shouldn't it be seeing that it was by the pencil of a scenic artist belonging to that establishment that yon gorgeous landscape was dashed off boldly upon the wall of which also fops climbing plants never could have made their way but for the illusion wrought by the same magic touch. End of chapter 14